Welcome back to Allow Me to Be Frank. We're recording this on Monday night, June 4th. Robbie Fox is on with us tonight. We did an interview with him talking about the latest Star Wars movie, Solo. And we touched on uh, we touched on the Avengers Infinity War a bit as well. Uh, we want to talk with Frank. We want to talk about his wild weekend and uh, both championship series in the NBA and NHL. Frank, what's going on? Uh, I tell you, it just never gets easier it just gets harder it's getting more aggravation more frustration you name it but first i want to talk about tonight's uh, game four the stanley cup finals we got second intermission as we're talking now and, and the washington capitals are have a four nothing lead and are 20 minutes away from taking a 3-1 series lead i mean it tonight has really been the team of destiny has come I mean, the uh, Golden Knights have hit missed open nets, hit, hit crossbar after crossbar, hit decided in net. They've missed so many shots to just where, where Hopi was beat, but they just couldn't get the puck into the into the net. And it's just Washington's been flying from Jump Street. They're getting goals from everywhere in any direction. It's four nothing now. I mean, and they're barring a, just an absolute disastrous, complete collapse tonight. The, the Capitals are going to be going into Vegas Game 5 with a chance to bring home the Stanley Cup. All these years of frustration for Washington fans, all these years where the Capitals have had the best team in the NHL regular season, three times three times in this decade where they've won the President's Trophy and have failed in the playoffs, epically failed. And now they're perhaps one win away from the Stanley Cup. And all these shirts, our year, our year, our year, are finally going to come true if they could win just one of the last three games. Now, I I paw, call to all Washington Capitals fans, remember, it's never over till it's over. And your team, part of your legacy is your failure in Game 7s and your failure to close out series where you've had 3-1 leads. You've blown a 3-1 series lead five times. We're going back... So 1987, 1992, 1995, both of those last two against the uh, Penguins, by the way. I mean, uh, just absolute incredible. 2-1-10, where they were the present trophy champions and lost to the eight-seed Canadiens after a 3-1 series lead, and most recently 2015 against the New York Rangers. I mean, this is five times. And you talk, look at look across the spectrum of sports, and no other team has done it that many times, blown 3-1 series leads. The St. Louis Cardinals have blown uh, 3-1 leads three times in their history. Actually, no, make that four times. The Cardinals have also done it a whole bunch of times. So, But with all the World Series championships, kind of takes the sting out. Yeah, uh, Frank, this feels, it feels like a big deal, the Capitals being this close to the Cup. It is. It is. You don't understand how many times they've blown it. Has I this, mean, has I mean how many teams? How many? I mean, as I mentioned, five times they've blown three-one series leads. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I don't know. Maybe being up three-one isn't a good thing for them. But has this series to you? Has it been more about like what the Capitals have done, or is Vegas just being is Vegas being outplayed? I guess is my question. Uh They've outplayed Vegas. They've gotten brilliant goaltending from Braden Holpe. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, who was terrific in the first three rounds, has been kind of ordinary this uh, this uh, this round. Yeah. Uh, I think they were hurt by that. Like I said, I think they were hurt by having those eight days off, although they won game one. Uh, but Washington's come out flying the last two games. They've been. They've really defended their home ice well. Now, Game Five, it's going to be. T- 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 I think the Vegas. They're going to get the best of the Golden Knights. Uh, it, with that, with the pregame uh, medieval times uh, show going on. But we'll see what ha- happens. I mean, this could finally be it. And for a fan base that's as suffered and tortured as the Washington Capitals have been. This will be a huge deal. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to look up right now. When is Game Five? I believe Game Five will be. Uh, uh, 
uh, let's see, Thursday night. Is that right? Yeah, Thursday night. Now it goes every two days because of the travel. Let me, let me just double check this. Yeah, I know the NBA is Wednesday, and they wouldn't have them on the same night, right? Yeah, no. They, 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 uh, this is now going to be a dance the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. And game six will be Sunday if necessary. As someone, I've only watched uh, hockey, you know, a bit from afar this year. Has the, have the Golden Knights? They haven't in the playoffs. They haven't faced much adversity, right? Like they haven't been down in a series like this. They were down. Uh, they were down one zero against Jets. That's the only time they were down. This is this is the first uh, bit of adversity they faced. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like the whole year has been like kind of a party for them. But now, uh, now they're gonna have to. Now they're gonna have to come back out of this hole. And they had a little. A little bit of a shaky uh, start against the Sharks, but then the Sharks just just folded. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to make an early game five prediction? Vegas wins. Okay, and then Caps in six. That's what I picked at the beginning of the oh, uh, yeah, I was gonna finals. Say, that is what you picked. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, so I picked I picked Capitals in six to begin the series. Why change now? Uh, yep, no, can't argue with that. Um, it's been a good, it's been a good Stanley Cup though. Uh, yeah, yeah, much better than the finals. Uh, NBA. I really wish NBC got the NBA put back. I mean, just just to bring back round ball rock. I mean, you really. Felt like you were watching an important game. You heard I mean, whatever they play on now, it's hard to even memorable. You don't even. You're just like watching these games, and yesterday's game was like the Warriors played like played with the Cavaliers like they were a dead rat. I mean, they let them get close a couple times, and then they go back up by twelve. Then the then the Cavaliers get it back to six, and they'll go back up by twelve. Uh, really you like had a great analogy. Them. You had a great analogy on your vlog about that. Share that again. Yeah, it was like a, 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 a cat, a cat playing with a dead mouse. <laughs> They're just like they'll beat the mouse up, beat it to to close for the killing it, and then the mouse will start to try to escape, and then they'll chase it down and beat it up again. <laughs> yeah, game two sucked, and uh, I'm mad. I'm mad. I find myself mad at Jr. For game one, because what what I wanted, I'm rooting for the Cavaliers. The Cavaliers had a chance to win, but J.R. Smith was high. (laughs) He didn't know the score because he was high. He did that many times when he was with the Knicks. And now it's happened in the finals and everyone is sick. I'm mad at him because he took away our chance to have a good NBA finals. If the Cavs had won game one. They still would have lost game two, but then, but then it it just either would have extended it to where the Cavs they would have to split at home, and then we could go six, maybe seven. But no, nope. any chance of this having being a series and it wouldn't that Joe Smith look at LeBron? I know you're ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no blame for Ty Lue at all. No blame for Ty Lue. Uh, you're 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 a player. You know you you, you can't use the timeout before. The foul shots. It was only one timeout left. Every player should know. Look up the scoreboard. What's going on? They should know what's going on. Oh. And you know what? Even if even if J.R. Smith dribbled the ball away and just tossed it to LeBron, LeBron was open. I mean, he could have made the shot. I think he could have made the shot. But when you get the offensive rebound, he should. They should have called timeout immediately. Like that should have been. That should have been. Yeah, they, they could have called timeout there. They could have called timeout there. That would have helped. But I don't. I don't think. I did, I just think that they were shocked at what J.R. Smith was doing. And yeah, they you just see LeBron's no trying to get. T- he's trying to call timeout, but the refs didn't acknowledge it. Yeah, but I think it's frustrating because I know you're not a big LeBron guy, Frank. But but if J.R. basically took away LeBron's best chance to to put like an all time stamp and win this series, obviously and... maybe it would have been really tough to win. But if they won Game One, like they would have had a chance to compete in this series and if they somehow pull it off that's huge for lebron's legacy and jr took that opportunity away from lebron and game, game three the only thing that game three is going to determine is if it's going to be a sweeper in five yeah i agree the refs they'll probably lebron's going to go to the free throw line like 
twenty five times in game three. And and I and I really don't wouldn't be surprised to see a sweep. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised to see a sweep. Yeah, a lot of people are talking about how tired LeBron is. It makes sense. I mean, he's been to eight straight finals. Yeah, and when he's had to carry the whole, whole damn team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so I mean, a lot of people say they, they, they people are actually talking about Philadelphia. I don't see it. I see him going to the Lakers and pulling a couple of other players with him and trying to create a super team in uh, L.A. so he can make uh, Space Jam 2. Uh, I think the Rockets is the latest rumor. Even if it's just like a one one or two-year deal. That's the thing. LeBron, he's not going to have to sign like an eight-year deal to stay somewhere forever. He could could keep playing this. You know what, what LeBron, you know what would be the best thing for LeBron's legacy? And unfortunately, this team is so, so stupid. You got the yeah. worst contract in the NBA. You got the worst contract in the NBA. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Phil, for your thank you for your your parting gift. The parting gift is, I was I was president of Knicks for three years. Yeah, I made one smart move. I drafted Christoph Porzingis. But you know what? I did the one move that will just that just screwed the Knicks. And it's signing Joachim Noah to an absolute big contract. Joachim Noah is like, he was good defensively at one point. He was the defensive player of the year. Yeah, but now he, but he wasn't a good shooter then. He's an even worse shooter now. Now he can't play defense. He basically is like a player that was average before. And the Monstars took all, whatever talent he had. And now he's like just some bum on the court that was like, there, there are actually people in the stands that could actually probably play better than him. <laughs> uh, speaking of bum New York teams, do you want to recap everything you were up to this weekend? It was a wild weekend for you, Frank. Yeah, the weekend from hell. Was the was, weekend uh, from hell. <laughs> so it started with your car. Was that Thursday or Friday? Friday on the way home from work. That's that's a kick. Um, I'm um, driving along. I'm driving along, and all of a sudden, I feel like a. My car feel like it just accelerated, and I'm pumping the brake, pumping the brake, pumping the brake, and it's not stopping. And I see like a, I'm coming up to a red light by a hospital, and and I push the brake down with all my my, and it just like, I'm pushing it to the floor, and it feels like it's still pulling, and it's like, and then I, I the, the light turns green, I hit the gas, and it's almost like. I just tapped the gas, and it was like the car wanted to go like 100 miles per hour. So then I just realized, oh, something's wrong here. So I'm driving, and I'm basically riding the brake. And to ride the brake, I'm basically standing, stepping on the brake, and the car is going 35 miles per hour. So I'm going through the park. And then I finally, I go through the park. I said, I got to get this to Jiffy Loop. I got to get to that. So I... I get through the park. I, I go down this this hilly road, and up the road it's not a problem. But then I go over the crest of the hill and go down the hill. It's like I can't stop. I can't stop. I can't stop. I can't stop. And I like 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 all my four hundred fifty pounds on that gas pe- on that brake pedal, and I get to the, the, the intersection, and just uh, just uh, get there. Like a big truck goes right by. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're laughing about that. Really, really then, shouldn't be like that's scary as hell. And then, and I, I, I finally get, I, I, so I'm riding the brake, riding the brake, riding the brake, and it's like, like basically, I, I, instead of having my foot on the gas pedal, I have my foot on the the brake, and it's still going like 25, 30 miles per hour. And I finally like get to uh, Jiffy Lube, and whew, and it hits me a nine hundred dollar expense. But thanks for thanks for all our support. Uh, I mean, I went on Twitter and I got a lot of support from my fans. That was very helpful. I I mean, I just that would have been just devastating. I don't know what I could have done without it. Yeah, that was really cool to see, and it, it happens a lot with you, Frank. It's a appreciation of you know the content you provide for everyone. Yeah, well, it's 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 they're the things that keep me going. I mean, it's I don't know. It's just it's rough sometimes. It's it's rough. I. My website doesn't make as much money as it should make. I, I mean, I really wish it would make more revenue, and I wish I could get more money, period, from what I do. And, but I guess I just got to accept what I get now. Hopefully, maybe one day it will turn into something that I don't even have to go to the court job, which is just a soul-sucking job. 
really is. Hey, where where there's, there's days where I don't get there's days I don't get a break. Is I have to be this judge doesn't formally say he's on break, he just goes in the back. And I have to be out there ready for when the judge comes out. So I I don't get that break. I maybe get one or two minutes to go to the bathroom and then then all the lawyers want to get out of there, so they don't want to come back after lunch. So it ends up that we don't get any type of lunch until two o'clock and at two o'clock by then you don't even want to eat lunch. You're aggravated, you're frustrated. Then we come back from lunch. And then it's the same thing, and then you get home. Today I got left work at 5.30, an hour late. And it's just absolutely just a soul-sucking job. I mean, I, that's why I end up eating fast food all the time because I don't want to cook. I've, if, if you get out at work an hour late, you don't want to come home and cook, especially when you have to record this podcast. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I don't want to screw up the podcast. I want to be awake and energetic for the podcast i don't want to be dragging after cooking dinner and have to wash dishes and fortunately i have a day off tomorrow i'm going to go by the barstool office it's awesome uh, i was i don't think clem's going to be there so i don't think we're going to be able to do a med therapy session but i really need med therapy i was just going to say after after saturday after all this trouble with my car i get to the met game on saturday and uh, they're supposed to give out the Todd Frazier BP pullovers. Now, of course, Todd Frazier, who's finally coming off the disabled list this week, and uh, he would have played Sunday, except the Mets farm system is in Vegas. So he couldn't uh, make it to the game fast enough. Because the short-sighted Mets decided to screw, up, uh, screw all their affiliates in Buffalo. And uh, uh, Tidewater, so they lost uh, those affiliates. And so they have that, and the Mets just have dreadful lineups every day. Jay Bruce has been beyond pitiful. Not only does Jay Bruce only have three home runs, not only is he batting 220, but he's been terrible in the field. By the way, Vegas made it 4-1. to one. Okay. So anyway. You get a voucher for they, the pullover, right? A voucher. Now, the one thing they did good was, they had free shirt Friday, and I guess they had some left over. So they gave out uh, Michael Conforto replica jerseys. So basically, they I got two promos for one, and they will send the BP pullover to me in eight to twelve weeks, which is sort of like how the Mets disabledus works. They disappear for eight to twelve weeks. You, they might be coming your way. You just gotta trust and hope, and maybe they come and they will show up one day. So we get to the game, and Jacob DeGrom pitches. And, of course, Jacob DeGrom right now has uh, the second lowest ERA in baseball, I believe, at 149. But the Mets record in games he started is 5-7. and seven. They've blown the bullpen. That Jerry Familia has blown the lead three times for him. And the rest of the time, it's just been where the offense just didn't score enough. And this was another opportunity where the offense just didn't score enough. It was 1-1. After he left after seven innings, the uh, Cubs scratched a run in the uh, sixth, and then the Mets answered with a Michael Conforto home run in the sixth. And by the way, they haven't scored since. So the Mets bullpen, which has been absolutely atrocious, came in. And, okay, uh, Gazelman, who has been good out of the pen all year, pitched in the eighth. Now, I noticed the Mets did this thing. Now, Kevin Ploiecki, who absolutely sucks, played first base because I guess they wanted a right-hander against the lefty uh, for the Mets. So the Mets had two catchers. They recalled Jose Lobotomy, who is batting all of uh, 086. Bingo! By the way, that's what you call When you bat below uh, 100, it's called playing bingo. And uh, so they bring up back Jose Lobotomy. And, and the Mets just did this absolute confusing roster situation where they're bringing up pitchers, calling up pitchers, designating people for assignment, and losing people. They had this guy, P.J. Conlon, who was actually a top 10 prospect on them that they designated for assignment and got cleaned by the Dodgers. He's gone now, so they could uh, recall P.J. Conlon, and they call up this other guy, Conway, who they designated for assignment the next day, just called him up. He didn't get into a game. They just designated, called him up to be there for emergency, and then they we call a guy that was on designated for assignment one day, and then he designated for assignment the next. It's like, 
what the hell are you doing? You're bringing up Bacosi Lobotomy, and then this genius of a manager, this absolute idiot, and friggin' moron, decides to double switch. Now he says that Mezzarocco's uh, hamstring was a little tightened, so he took him out of the game of catcher. He moves Lewecki from first base to catcher. Uh, Adrian Gonzalez, who was batted for the uh, batted for Degrom, he comes in the game, plays first, and then they put the pitcher spot in the lineup where Mezzarocco was batting fifth. This meant that if any Met reached base, you have to pinch it for Gazelman, <coughs> and they did. So he double switched and had the pitcher bat sooner rather than later. Usually when you double switch, you do it so the pitcher doesn't have to bat the next inning. This genius, this idiot, this moron who can't, who's already once had his team bat out of order, now has the pitcher batting fifth instead of sixth or seventh or eighth, and then you have to use the pinch hitter. So Gazelman's out of the game. You put Familia in the ninth. And Gazelman could have gone two innings. So Familia pitches the ninth. No one scores. They bring in uh, a hodgepodge after that. Uh, Levins, who's been bad, he actually was good that game. Uh, Ponzo Robles, who's been atrocious, gave, gave the Mets two innings. And the Mets just, the lineup just goes feebly down, just absolutely looking terrible against Luke Farrell, who is one of the worst pitchers in baseball. The worst, the, the, Cubs, the Cubs put Luke Farrell in the game saying, okay, if we lose this game, we're, we're, we're still looking good. We don't want to use our top line pitchers because they're, they're kind of tired. So it's for Luke Ferrell. Luke Ferrell ended up just shutting the Mets down for five innings. We get to the 13th inning, and the Mets get a little two-out rally. A ball keys to just misses a home run. And, of course, they walk Conforto. And then Jose Lobotomy comes up, pinch hitting for the pitcher. So once again, there's your pitcher spot in the fifth spot. If you had Devin Mezrocco. Maybe things would be different. So they had to use Jose Lobotomy pinch hitting for pitcher. <clears throat> so Lobotomy actually walks. His Farrell's arm's getting tired. So then you have Kevin Puecki coming up. And Kevin Puecki just bounced out to short. So now the 14th inning comes in and they bring in Buddy Bauman. Buddy Bauman has had an ERA of, 14, of 18 coming in. And by the way, his minor league ERA was just as bad. And he got tattooed. He gave up five runs. And by the, by the, this time, I'm getting angry. I'm periscoping, and I'm getting angry. <laughs> I, I yell out to Jose Reyes, and, and the stadium's empty. There's very few fans left. I yell out to Jose Reyes, hey, Jose, what time is it? Time to retire. And he glared at me. I know he heard me. <laughs> and then, buddy, and, and I periscope this, by the way. It's out there. <laughs> and then Buddy Bauman, Buddy Bauman, his 18 ERA absolutely implodes. There's a throw behind home plate where he missed the cutoff man, and he's like dribbling the baseball. I mean, I don't think he's about to start doing behind the back and like Harlan Globetrotter moves the way he can't pick up the baseball. Not only is his 18 ERA, he can't make the cutoff play, and he gets. It's out of the game, and they bring in Gerson Bautista. Gerson Bautista throws 100 miles per hour, but he throws it so flat and fast that it's like a pitching machine. You know those pitching machines that shoot the baseball out of you at 100 miles per hour? <laughs> I mean, it's that, that's like in a batting cage. That's what Gerson Bautista's pitches look like. And, of course, Javier Baez tattoos one, and now it's 7-1. to one. Game's over. And uh, so I stay there until like the bitter end. And I'm walking out of the stadium. And of course, I have to go to the bathroom. I, I had a, a, a souvenir helmet uh, full of nachos. Nachos. And uh, eventually, those things worked their way through the system. Jesus <laughs> Frank. So I, I go in and I take a Jose Reyes. <laughs> I have to download the nachos. So I'm getting out of the bathroom, and I saw it's very empty. 
and by then it's midnight, so I can't, <laughs> I can't get, I can't get to Penn Station in time to get the last train out of uh, New York. So I take the, uh, I take the deep breath. I, I get the, uh, I get the Uber, or so I go to the the bullpen gate to where the Uber is out, and all the gates are locked. I am locked in, in City Field. So I'm screaming, help! Somebody help me! This is locked! Is there anyone that can help? Help! <clears throat> and then the day, someone says, there's a cop over there. And I said, can you help him? Can you get in the cop for me? <clears throat> so eventually a cop gets me uh, out the stadium. So I call for the Uber. The first guy cancels. It says, connect you to Uber. We'll be there in five minutes. And all of a sudden you see him disappear. Trying to find another car. So the other guy calls me. He says, I'm here. I'm here. And I'm looking. There's no car around me. He says, where are you? You go, well, I'm by McFadden's. No, no, no. The stadium. The stadium. No, the stadium. McFadden's is part of the stadium. No, 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 no. Stadium. Stadium. And I have no idea what the cross streets are. And I'm saying, do you see me? I'm waving my arms. I'm here. I'm here. I don't see you. I'm leaving. And I'm charging you $10 for the cancellation fee. <laughs> So I get to try the third Uber that cancels on me and find the fourth one I have almost the same problem with to connect with. <clears throat> but he actually honks his horn, and I get to finally figure out where he is. The other guy never never honked his horn. This guy honked the horn. I finally saw where he was. That he was a few feet. That he was like about a hundred feet in front of me, and I was looking for him to come from down the other way. But he is a hundred feet in front of me. He was by. You know where he was by. He was by the uh, the micro boom, McKellar curse. Yeah, yeah. And I was by McFadden's, which is on the other side of the bullpen gate. <laughs> so I finally get home. I mean, it's just, it's like this team is just abusing me. And then Sunday, the Mets <laughs> play an absolutely lifeless game. Kevin Ploiecki bats fourth with his 176 batting average. Now, to be fair, Kevin Ploiecki was one of only three Mets to get a hit. I mean, uh, the Mets were getting no hit for six innings by John Lester. I mean, and then they, they scored two runs off of uh, Steve Matz. The first one scored Steve Matz. The, the guy stole a home off of Steve Matz, who was looking at the first base and 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 looking at the first base. And, and the guy's sneaking down. He's like halfway home, and Steve Matz was a lob to the, uh, the first baseman, and even though the guy is only one inch away from the first base bag, I'm going to throw over, just to throw over. Oh, no! And then the second run scores, <clears throat> pop up the short right field, that Jay Bruce is just standing there, <laughs> la-dee-da, la-dee-dee, la-da-da, and the second baseman had to go running out and make a diving catch for, and then uh, Jay Bruce goes, oh, was I supposed to get, is that my ball? Oops, my bad. I'm batting 220, and I make a misplay in the field every day, and um, three home runs, and I'm making 13 million. I I made the money. Ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Oh, there once was a player named Jay Bruce, and he absolutely has no use. And and then, and then after the game, Mickey Calloway. It's negative out there. It's getting hard to play because it's so negative. It's not like that in Cleveland. In Cleveland, they support you. But here they're negative. And I think that's really causing a snowball effect. It's hard to play in New York. It's now official. Mickey Calloway is the worst manager in the history of the Mets. The worst manager in the history of the Mets. He is total moron buffoon over his head. And he's he is Richie Kotite personified. This guy is so bad. He makes bad in-game decisions. Doesn't know how to handle a bullpen. Doesn't know how to handle a lineup. And everything is a snowballing. There's no accountability. And it's it's hard to play in New York. Yeah, yeah because we don't want shit. You're feeding us shit. You're giving us shit. And we know shit when we see it. And we're seeing shit. And you can't tell it. Give a shit and tell it it's Shinola. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! You need Clem's. Clem's very not helping things by not being there for meth therapy tomorrow. I need meth therapy in the worst way. <laughs> Thank goodness they were off tonight. <laughs> Yankees just lost the second game of a doubleheader tonight. Hey, that should cheer you up a bit. Eh. 
whatever. <laughs> All right. In conclusion, um, thank you to everyone for helping Tank this weekend. Continue <laughs> to buy shirts. Continue to help support him any way you can. Rate and review this show. <clears throat> Watch his vlogs on YouTube. Like his tweets. Uh, Frank, anything else before we get to Robbie? That's it. All right. Uh, we go now live to Robbie Fox. We did an interview with him before this about the new Star Wars solo movie. Robbie, we're here to talk uh, some solo with you tonight. Last time you were on, back in December, uh, we were talking about The Last Jedi, your, uh, your and Frank's thoughts on that. We expressed some nerves for the upcoming solo movie. It was just going to be five months right after uh, Episode Eight came out. What were your overall thoughts on it? So we did express some, some like, uh, I guess, disinterest and, like, worry about it. And mm. even going in, like, the day of, it wasn't like I got excited, like, the week leading up. Like, I kind of expected, like, all right, I'm not really into this, but maybe the week of I'll get into the spirit and be super stoked. And I wasn't. Even, like, when I went to see it in theaters, it was so weird. I saw the very first showing, Thursday night preview showing. Our theater was, like, one-third full. Nobody wanted to see it. It was strange. But I wound up kind of loving it. I, I really, really, really enjoyed Solo. Um, I wrote a review on BarcelSports.com, and we have new movie guys and they're installing this rating system for movies well one through 100 and i gave it an 82 so it's it's far from perfect i think it starts off super slow and i think towards the end it gets a little messy but like the whole middle portion of the movie i love i i, I liked it way more than i expected to and i kind of want to see a sequel i pretty much agree with that the only mistake i think star wars made with this this should have been done in december completely agree this completely was, agree. I think there's a little bit of a Star Wars fatigue. They released this too soon. I mean, they were doing good. They did that. Uh, I mean, the Force Awakens came out in December. Row One came out in December. Last Jedi came out in December. And now you come May, and and I think that's why the uh, box office numbers have been a little depressed, uh, uh, especially with some people not liking the Last Jedi. And uh, yeah. And I think that they would have been better off putting this in December. And and I and I and it would, I think it was a terrific movie. I thought it was good. I I I liked the story and uh, and I loved the Easter eggs. There yes, so there was a lot Easter of shout outs to the Clone Wars, which was like shocking to me. Um, I, I agree with you on the December thing. Even as a Star Wars fan, I, like people are saying, you know, Star Wars fatigue. People, are, I don't think Star Wars fatigue is real. You know, Marvel puts out three, four movies a year. And they just put out their 19th movie in the past 10 years, and it was the most successful. So I don't think fatigue is like something that's going to kick in for people. I think it was just people weren't really interested in, in this specific subject matter. But if you waited till December, maybe they give it a shot. Like right now, you got Deadpool 2's out, uh, Infinity War's out. Like it, 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 they were making it fight for box office. Yeah, and it's as a too, Star Wars fan, it's kind of like too cool. It's a, it was a tradition, and like every December, you knew you got a Star Wars movie right before Christmas. Have they said why they pushed it up to May? Because I agree. It felt like really soon. It was a quick turnaround. They didn't say why. And I, I don't like I really don't understand the decision at all because they didn't want to they didn't want to cross advertise with The Last Jedi either. So they held off. And the first trailer for the movie came out three months before, which was very strange. And like Frank said, I think that hurt the box office. I mean, yeah, especially as you said, it's crowded. You got the. Deadpool came out. Uh, I ended up watching Deadpool and Solo on the same night. So, I mean, it was thankfully it was Memorial Day weekend, so I had the time to do it. But th there you go. It's it just demonstrates how crowded the, the field is. Yeah. Uh, and I, not, I don't know about you, but part of the things that I really liked were just silly things like. The blue cape that uh, Lando wore in uh, Empire Strikes Back is in his cape closet. Yeah. And the, I loved, um, mask, I actually said, uh, it, it was the little things that made this movie for me. And the Beckett wearing that mask that uh, Lando wore in Jabba's Palace in uh, yep. Return yeah, the, of the uh, Jedi. Yeah, the, the disguise that they give to him. I loved seeing stuff like, 
you know, Han getting his DL-44 blaster and seeing that it's actually a deconstructed rifle and that kind of explains why it's so powerful. I loved when Han sees the Falcon go into uh, enter, enter light speed for the first time. Um, and he just has that smile come across his face where he's like, man, this is awesome. It's like, whoa, Han Solo is like actually watching something that he obviously loves doing in the original trilogy. That was really cool to me. And obviously the ending, I, I don't, we could do spoilers at this point, right? It's been out. Yeah, yeah. I, was... I mean, the, the ending of Maul showing up, it was stunning for me. I didn't see it coming at all. The whole time they're kind of hyping up Crimson Dawn, Crimson Dawn, Crimson Dawn. And I'm thinking, oh, it's got to be Jabba. They're, they're teasing Jabba without a doubt. Um, and then for it to wind up being... Darth Maul, you know, played by Ray Park, the original actor, voiced by Sam Witwer, who did his voice on The Clone Wars. It was just, like, stunning and really cool. It's cool to see, like, a Han Solo movie tie in with The Phantom Menace. It, it was just strange, but it worked. Yeah, it did. And, uh, well, they, they, they already teased Jabba as a yep. big gangster in, in Tatooine, so I don't think they're going to double t- tease him. Well, they, I mean, they waited to say that about Jabba till the end, though. So, but they were saying Crimson Dawn the whole movie. That so was where my confusion lied. So, what this, this is going to mean is what's going to happen when they do Kenobi and Fett. Yep. I think, and I think they're uh, all going to tie together like that. Like, I, I don't see Darth Maul being in the solo sequel. I see him being in the Obi Wan Kenobi movie. Possibly, I, I think this the scene. Where Maul dies in Star Wars Rebels, the the cartoon series, he shows up on Tatooine and has one last duel with Obi Wan. It's a very realistic, very short fight. It's like basically how a lightsaber fight would go if lightsabers were real. It was like literally four or five seconds long, and someone just Maul just dies. Like <laughs> you get cut by a lightsaber real quick. I think if they recreated that whole confrontation and scene for the Kenobi movie, it would work so well. I mean, uh, I've I've seen I've I've uh, I do the audible on some of the books, and uh, and I know the story with was that the, the Uncle Ben did not want uh, not, Uncle Owen didn't want Ben uh, Kenobi anywhere near Luke, mm-hmm. so it was like so he couldn't even see Luke, but he wanted to train Luke, and it was like there was a hostility between uh, Owen and uh, Kenobi. I mean, is that are we going to see a manifestation of that in uh, the Kenobi movie? You would have to imagine the Kenobi movie for me, the only thing they really have to do. I have faith in them. Like after seeing Solo, I was so worrisome about Solo. After seeing it, I have such faith in all these spinoff movies. I really think Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm know what they're doing now. Um, And you obviously know how much I love The Last Jedi as well. So as long as they cast Ewan McGregor, I'm happy. Well, I still want to see what happens with uh, episode nine. Uh, Like I said, I'm going to reserve. I. Last Jedi, there's a lot of things I didn't like, and I think that if it depends how they finish it for episode nine. I mean, it's like Infinity War. The whole the the, the I mean, to me, Infinity War uh, it reminded me so much of Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it was it was that the, the good. ending in general. Yeah. Like, but the the one difference, which the, I can't take credit for this quote, somebody else said it, I forget who, um, but they said the Empire Strikes Back, the ending was bittersweet. You know, uh, Luke got his hand cut off, just found out his enemy is his father. Uh, Hans and Carbonite, n- nowhere to be found. We don't even know where he is. It's, but, you know, there's still a bit of hope. There's still like, our heroes are still there. They're still together. They're still alive. The ending of Infinity War is just bitter. There's there's really not much hope. It's just like, oh yeah, like everyone you know, love, and care about, they're just dead. <laughs> and Thanos wins, and he smiles, and that's the end of the movie. It was it was brutal. I've seen that three times in theaters now. Once one of the times was in IMAX, and every I'm, single time that snap is like it hits me hard, man. I mean, it's it's. I mean, you figure with all the sequels, some of these people are coming back, so. Oh yeah, I think a lot, a lot of them are going to come back, but I think it's going to be at the cost of uh, of some of the ones that stayed alive. I think I think Iron Man and Cap are both going to go in the next one, sacrificing themselves in some way. I, yeah, a, I, I think that's going to happen. I I completely agree that's going to happen. And I Frank, think it'll be you, a nice passing of the torch as well. Frank, what do you think of the the kid who played Han? I don't need a good job. 
I, I have no complaints about him. It's a tough role. The, the, the best one, though, is I think uh, Donald Glover nailed. Oh, yeah. He was the highlight of the movie for me, without a doubt. And I'm a huge Donald Glover, like childish Gambino fan going in. So I was like really confident that he would be the highlight of the movie for me. But like he even blew those expectations away. He was so uh, spot on. And I don't know about you, but if I don't see Billy D. Williams in episode nine, that will be one strike against it. Well, well, the, the good thing is recently it got reported that he was supposed to do a Comic-Con and, you know, signings, pictures, whatever. And he pulled out because his agency was like, he's training. He has to do physical training. And they made <laughs> Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, and Mark Hamill do physical training before episode seven. So if that's the same kind of thing, hopefully we'll see him. They're, they were thinking about putting him on Canto by in episode eight, The Last Jedi. Because that, that would be the perfect place for him. But they were like, it just wouldn't make sense for it to be so insignificant. And then to bring him back and, you know, nobody answers Leia's distress call at the end. We would have to explain why Billy D. Williams wasn't doing that and Lando yeah. was doing that, you know. So, uh, yeah, the, I mean, uh, I know he's done some Rebels episodes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the Lando character is just funny. It, uh, it's a really so good. great character. Yeah, he's so suave, so just like, <laughs> just every line out of his mouth has such purpose, and like, it's just so cool. He's a guy that you're constantly like, man, I want to be him. And then, which I love how just like uh, Han notice he notice he cheated and then stole the card from him when he like, hey, how's it going? And, and I bought that hook like, line and sinker the first time. So when uh when you think that Han's got Lando beat in the Sabacc game, and obviously through the years we know that Han won the the Falcon through a card game and it's Sabacc. So when, when he you think he wins the first game they play in the middle of the movie, I turned to uh Ken Jack, one of the hosts of Lights Camera Podcast, turned to him in the theater, and I said, I gotta tell you. Han just won the Millennium Falcon, and that was kind of fucking cool. Like, I'm kind of geeking out about how awesome that is. And he goes, I don't think he did. And then Lando reveals that he pulled the card. So I bought that hook, line, and sinker. I mean, it just... And it, they really explained how special a ship the Millennium Falcon is, but they downloaded that computer that knows more more uh, galaxies and more ways around the galaxy than anywhere anyone. So they yeah, kind of explains the computer's navigation. When they, you know, they put L3 in the in the navigation system. It also kind of explains a line that didn't necessarily need explaining. It reminded me of Rogue One, you know, like the Death Star having a hole in it didn't necessarily need an explanation. It could have just been there's a hole in it. But when you give it a backstory, it does make it better. C-3PO yeah, in the original trilogy says— Yeah, I love trilogy, that part says, about Rogue One. C-3PO in the original trilogy, he says, uh, this ship has a very weird dialect, and it, it, you mm. know— it's like, a, oh, funny, you know, quirky line from C-3PO. But now when you think about it, it's like, oh, yeah, he's talking about the actual accent that L3 has when she talks. Yep. Robin, and uh, I love that. And I love that. I love L3. L3, the, the liberator droid. Yes. The, the <laughs> droid riot was so funny. <laughs> Robbie, people who are in, like, the Star Wars community, let's say, that have a big problem with Solo, like, what are they saying? What did they not like about the movie? Or did they just not like that it was made at all? So, a, a lot of them don't like that it was made at all. I think the main complaints that I've seen, and I've seen a lot, I've seen, you know, from both sides, people that absolutely adored it, people that thought it was okay, and then people that hated its guts. A lot of people didn't like... One, that it was a movie that was getting made. I think it was still, having loved it, it was an unnecessary movie. You didn't need to make it. Um, they, they felt it was a checklist of Han's greatest hits. And they felt, uh, kind of like I said, that the beginning and the ending were a little slow. I know a lot of people didn't even care for the middle of it, where some people were saying, I enjoyed the ending, but the beginning and the middle weren't great. Um, I haven't really seen anyone go after Alden, uh, the guy that played Han Solo, Everyone seems to be on board with Donald Glover's Lando. A lot of people saying that he's deserving of his own movie. I completely agree. I would watch a whole movie of just Lando being Lando. Um, but yeah, they, they don't like they don't like a lot of the the greatest hits, I guess, of Han Solo. They don't like that we got a weird explanation for how he got his name, which I kind of agree with. I think the way they gave him his name was kind of strange. It was like, they were like, you're finally going to find out how he got his name. And it's like, that's not really something I ever was curious about. I just figured that was his name. 
Uh, yeah, and it turns too. out I... some some guy in an airport gave it to him, and he decided to keep it for the rest of his entire life. Um, but yeah, I guess it's just the checklist aspect. And for a lot of people, it, they felt it was totally different, which I could agree with. And I think that's uh, you know a product of the directors changing and the reshoots that they went through, where sometimes it looked like it was trying to be a comedy, and sometimes it looked like it was trying to be serious, which people also didn't love about The Last Jedi. Well, I think the comedic aspects are very important for this. I think I think Han Solo is kind of a funny character. He's sometimes was comic relief, just oh, like yeah. his expressions and his. And I think Lawrence <laughs> Kasdan was the one that said it, which is the writer of Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, Force Awakens, and this. Um, he said his favorite quality about Han, and I love this. He, he said he's just a little stupid, and it's kind of true. Like Han will make decisions sometimes where you're like, "That was fucking dumb. Why do you do that?" He's and, just uh, a little stupid. And here's another thing I like, and it's one thing I, that that always bothered me about the special editions. He shot first. He shot Greedo first. When you first saw Star Wars in the theaters, when people first saw that in 1977, he shot Guido first. That made you kind of question, is this guy trusting, trustworthy, all the way up until he uh, shot uh, Vader and uh, that uh, other TIE fighter and made him uh, uh, clear the way for Luke to blow up the Death Star. You never knew if you could trust Han Solo. So when they saw that scene when he shot Guido first, that was always important his character like building him up and then after they do the three movies you don't want to like make him look like he might be kind of like a guy that's not of a hundred percent pure character that always gave him death that he shot Guido first and this time he shot Beckett first and there's no question about it I know I, I loved that it, it was such a clear like ode to the fans that are like you and me and hate that they made Greedo shoot first. It just looks so silly too. Like just the take, take away the character elements that it changes for Han, that Greedo shot first, take that all away. And it still is stupid because why would Greedo miss? They're sitting two feet away from each other. You know what I mean? Like if, if Greedo missed and job, the job is sending this guy to, you know, collect his bounty, what's going on here. Um, but I did love that he shot first. And the other thing that we haven't mentioned, I loved how Han met Chewie. Yeah, it was yeah. very reminiscent uh, of the scene in uh, Return of the Jedi, where Han is blind after escape, you know, being freed of the carbonite. He goes into that dark room and he hears Chewie, and you know, when they throw him into the pit with the monster in this, we all knew it was coming, and it was still very cool. Uh, yeah, it's a mixture of uh, two things in Return of the Jedi. Also, the Rancor pit. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> with the chain and, uh, connected to Chewbacca's foot and everything. And how about the friggin the most brutal scene in the movie he picks someone up by the shirt like a bully like a bully would grab a kid by the shirt collar he picks a guy up from by the shirt and he like just spikes his head into the ground <laughs> like head first that happened it was i think it was in the trailer too for like a brief moment when that happened in the theater i said holy shit out loud it's like that was the most like that was the most brutal thing i've ever seen in a star wars movie i think Wookie, they haven't d done as much as Wookiees. I guess you can because I guess they don't speak uh, basic or English. They all just yeah. grunt and groan. And their one attempt was that dreadful. The Although I, I don't think it's dreadful. I don't think it's dreadful. I, just, I, I, I think it's now to the point where it's so bad it's good. Oh, absolutely. A lot of people would disagree with that, though. I think because you and I are such crazy diehard Star Wars fans, we think that. I try to show it to some non-Star Wars fans, and they make it about nine minutes into the movie, where it's exclusively Chewbacca talking back and forth with his family, with zero subtitles whatsoever for the first, like, ten but it's, minutes. But it's, it's, and they're like, I, I can't mean, do this anymore. <laughs> it's, so, it's so bad, it's good. I mean, the point I agree. where the, the grandfather's, like, watching, watching, like, this, like, like, it's like porno. It's what was it? This version of porno with that, that oh, yeah. Diane Carroll singing. Oh, yeah. It's D Diane Carroll singing in a weird like glitter wig, and he's reacting as if he's masturbating. And you know what the great thing is? Is the, the stars in this? B. Arthur is in this. Oh yeah, Art B. Arthur's Carney in is in this. Yep. Harvey yep. And, and they got like most of the original cast of Star Wars. Like fucking Harrison Ford plays a huge role in it. I mean, so it's not like they're having a whole bunch of B actors in here. These are 
these are big stars. And Diane Carroll, I mean, she was big on the disco stage. And uh, the Jefferson was the band, no, band too. They, they, they had a... Uh... That's... That's Jefferson Starship, Jefferson Airplane yes. Starship. They changed their name like three or four times. Yes. I mean, they were. Uh, they started out as like a, uh, what would you call that? A uh, psychedelic rock band that would like play the Woodstock. And then they became like a disco type of band. And they became like a very commercial pop band, which is ironic because there's a line in one of their songs. We're the generation that won't sell out. And then 15 years later, we built this city. <laughs> we built this city on rock and roll, which is the biggest sellout song of all time. <laughs> yeah, they were going every which way the wind blowed. Brother, I love what you said about Han just being a little dumb. I laughed out loud at the scene at the end when they're on the beach and they think they're getting like attacked and cornered, and Han points to the uh, to, points to the Falcon and says, "There's like 30 armed guards ready there to come out the snap of my mm-hmm. finger." And then the ship just flies away. <laughs> yeah, Lando's just done. Uh, did you like, have a favorite no way scene? Up with this. My favorite scene. Jeez, that's tough. I love, I love the the Han and Chewie meeting. I, I actually say, enjoyed okay. the train heist a lot. I like the train heist because I loved oh. Rio, um, the little alien dude that they mm-hmm. killed off right away. I was like, man, you didn't have to kill him off. That like he could have just retired, and you could have made the cantina his. I enjoyed the train heist. I enjoyed, uh, man, we didn't even mention Dryden Voss. Paul Bettany is Dryden Voss. He was awesome in this movie. And I thought he had a really cool character design where the kind of scars on his face would get darker the angrier he got. I thought that was really cool. His eyes got bloodshot. Um, but favorite scene might be the Kessel run itself for me when they you know, go through the maw and then there's that giant monster getting sucked into like the gravity pit. Han's got to hit light speed to get through like the two planets hitting each other. I thought the whole Kessel run like lived up to the hype that, you know, it has had since 1977. Yep. And I, I like the fact that he said that uh, I did it in 12 parsecs. Well, it was a little bit more. It was almost 13 parsecs. No, I'm rounding down, buddy. Yes. Yes. And then and then, you know, you get to A New Hope, which is, I think, in timeline 10 years after Solo. I think that's chronologically when it takes place. Um, and he's saying under 12 parsecs. He just keeps rounding down. Yeah. But, and, and, and then in the, the Force Awakens, 14 parsecs. No, 12. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's like it's like this is like the most important part of his life was the, was the, making the castle run. And, uh, and it explains the weird shape of the uh, Millennium Falcon too. That 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 always why there was that always like that gap in the middle. Yes, I thought the whole Falcon design in this movie was so awesome. The way like we were seeing things get clipped off of it too, and by the end of the movie, you know, when Lando's looking at it like, "What have you done?" and Han's like, "Man, I love that ship." Like you're you're starting to see the Falcon become the Falcon. <laughs> Yeah. What do you think of the idea that some, like, let's say, like, uh, more intense Star Wars fans who were upset with the movie that was being made, part of it might be when they only had these three movies forever. Like, each Star Wars movie was so special. And then even though there was, like, the prequel, there were still only, like, six movies. And now now there's just not, like, really an end in sight for, like, how much Star Wars content they're going to do. Yeah, for sure that's I, – I can, I can kind of understand – that complaint from people, especially like the older Star Wars fans that I can't speak to that grew up with the original trilogy when they just had three mm-hmm. for so many years. And then three were added on after it that most people, uh, well, I don't know if most, I guess the general public didn't take too kindly to. Um, and then Star Wars fans are kind of split down the middle of people that hate them, hate them, hate them. They ruined my childhood. And then people that love them. And they're like, they're kind of hidden genius. Mm. I fall somewhere in the middle where I don't think any of them are necessarily good movies. I think Revenge of the Sith, the best of the three. But um, I enjoy all of them. I really do love them. Um, and I'll love pretty much anything Star Wars. So for me, uh, like, qual. Definitely quantity over or quality over quantity, but like I'm cool with quantity. Like, give me as many Star Wars movies, give me one Star Wars movie a year, and I'm cool with that. Like, I'm I'm always for more Star Wars. I think George Lucas created such a fantastic universe and such a wide universe and vast that like you can tell me Star Wars stories forever, and I'll never get tired of them. 
Yeah. It's kind of its own uh, genre. It's like saying like no more action movies. They were and I and I would special. like to say I do like to say how it just like builds up the universe. Yes, absolutely. Seeing the different kind of alien species, seeing the different planet terrains, everything in that right. Like the the planet that a lot of this movie takes place on, the train heist planet where they have all the mountains. Like we've never seen anything like that in Star Wars. Little I, things like adding a planet like that, I enjoy. I like that it widens the universe and. And I, there's one book that's non-canon that should be canon, and I'd love to see it made into a movie, and that's Plagueis. Oh, yes. Absolutely. I mean, I, I want to know more about – I want to know the backstory of uh, Palpatine. That's one thing I also want to know. Frank just loves Palpatine. I mean, yeah, who so doesn't, to be fair? Palpatine, one of, the, one of the shining moments of the prequels, actually, the Ian McDermott delivers every ridiculous line that George Lucas wrote for him so well. When we were at Star Wars night a couple of weeks ago, it's uh, at the uh, city field. Some guy had uh, dressed as Palpatine was perfect. One of the uh, costume characters. Yeah, the he had like face this, going too. Yeah, the face going. And he had like, like I, 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 one of those like strobe lights, the, a battery operated strobe light in his hand. One of those like. Uh, oh, yeah. Have, for like, the you know, lightning effect. Yeah. Love it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that, yeah. was, that, that was great <laughs> yeah Robbie I, I definitely agree with you like I'd rather ha- have had this solo movie you know even with its imperfections than like not had it at all like more Star Wars would always be good uh, we know we know episode 9 is coming out next winter where what else is like being made has been confirmed like where are these Star Wars movies going from here so we know the next spinoff should be a Boba Fett one directed and written by James Mangold, who did uh, Logan 310 to Yuma. He did he did a lot of, you know, those like uh, neo-Western type movies. Mm-hmm. So I'm stoked about that. I think he's an awesome person to give that Boba Fett movie to. And I don't know if they'll set it right after Solo because I could see them doing that and making Han a bit of an enemy for Boba or if they're going to do it, him crawling out of the Sarlacc pit after Jedi, I would prefer the latter. I would like to see what he does after the original trilogy. Stuff yeah, like so that. I'd like Maybe to like see that the, too. The underbelly of uh, Coruscant, like that would be awesome to see, like just gangster stuff going on. And the the Kenobi movie has been forever rumored. I think it's the by far the most requested by fans since they were like, hey, we're going to do spinoffs. Everyone's like, do an Obi-Wan movie. Like, we love you and McGregor in that role. So I think that'll be after that. And then we also know John Favreau has a live action television series in the works. And Ryan Johnson has a trilogy in the works. We have no details whatsoever about that other than the fact that it will not include any characters we've ever seen before. Oh, John Favreau, and he was in uh, Solo. Yeah, he was. He was Rio, Rio Durant, a little four-armed alien. <laughs> uh, Frank, any other, any other closing like thoughts the, on Solo? No, I did. It's, it's been covered. I like the part with the uh, where Solo realized that Beckett was a uh, a uh, not not part of the Empire. He got these the scarring, but he had like the uh, the the scarring of the uh, the blaster burns. Yep. Yeah, and, that, uh, that, that was all great. And then he realized Rio had four. And he's like, one of your arms slipped out. Supposedly, there's a cut scene of Han Solo like crashing a TIE fighter. Oh, when he was a part of the like Imperial. Yeah. That might have been because uh, when he's on that planet, like in the mud with all of them, they say like, oh, he got kicked out of the flight academy. Maybe it was going to go before that. They were going to show, like, why he got kicked out. I don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah. That was supposed to be that was supposed to be that scene that they supposedly cut out. Oh, and you know what else I loved, by the way? One little quick thing. When he is on Corellia and him and Kira get separated and you hear the Imperial March as, like, the yes! theme of the Empire. Yes, That was so awesome. Like on a, like on a television commercial. Like, like Yeah, it was like a propaganda. Yeah, and... And I mean, it's like join the uh, join the Imperial Army, go places, see the universe. It's like like a, like an old uh, army recruitment video, the uh, yes. television commercial. Be all that you can be in the army. Uh, Robbie, really want to thank you for coming on and doing this. This was really cool uh, to recap this with you. 
Oh, of course. I think, like I said last time, anytime anyone wants to talk Star Wars with me, I'm like, yep, let's do it. The pain is gone. 